Welcome to day 21 of OT with DA. Day 21, chapter 20. We are well and truly in the twos now, right? Because we're in chapter 21 or day 21, chapter 20. Welcome everybody. I know I'm signing on a few minutes late. It looks like about 16, 17 minutes late. The reason is, as you probably know, uh, we just finished our uh, supplemental session with Dr. Sean Pittman. I saw that a lot of you were signed on. I hope that was a blessing to you. It became very obvious uh, very early on that we were not going to be able to get through all of the material that we wanted to get through because we were just frankly having too much fun. So Sean very graciously, even though I put him on the spot publicly, uh, he very graciously agreed to come back and do a part two, which will be a lot of the questions that you have. And so the very best place if you have specific questions that you would like Sean to answer in our part two, which we'll get scheduled as soon as possible, and I'll keep you up to date on that, will be to do it in the in the comments of the YouTube video. Now, the YouTube video is not up yet, and it's going to take us a little bit to sync the audio and, and to get it all just right. So that's probably not going to be up until tomorrow evening. Okay, so apologies for that. The supplemental session with Sean will not be up tonight. This video will be up tonight. But it's just, anyway, it's just a little difficult to do all of it so quickly. And uh, anyway, I have a really, really, really um, big surprise for you. As you might have guessed, because I'm sitting to the side here and you can see there's an empty chair, uh, someone's going to be joining me tonight. And uh, I, I just wonder if anybody has a guess. Let's see if uh, anybody wants to guess here who it is that might be joining me tonight. And I'll just give you a few guesses. And then uh, if somebody guesses it, people are saying, who's the chair for? People are saying they enjoyed the Sean Pittman session. Okay, that's great. Who's gonna sit in the chair? Does anybody have a guess? Oh, the very first guess was correct. All right, come on over, Violetta. Look, everybody's guessing you. I talked, well, I didn't even actually really talk you into coming, didn't I? did I? No, it's somebody else. <laughs> Who talked you into it? Everybody else. <laughs> did I put a lot of pressure on you? I, I want the truth to be no, out there. No, you did not. Did I put any pressure on you? No, you did not. I didn't. No pressure. So you did feel a little bit of pressure, but who was it from? Do you want to say publicly? <laughs> family. <laughs> <laughs> so Violetta's family that loves her very much said, what are you doing? Get on the program. We want to see you. And so I think it was just this morning that you told me or yeah. yesterday. Both, I think. Uh, yes. Okay. So anyway, you're like, I think I want to do it. And you said it so robotically. <laughs> I was like, do what? Do what? Come on the program. <laughs> are you nervous? Yes. Okay, good. Well, she's a little bit nervous. You should know that we've been married now for approaching 25 years, 23 years to be precise, and uh, Violetta never, ever, ever does anything like this. She just doesn't get up front. She just doesn't do it. She's been asked to... Have you even told a children's story since we've been married? Uh, maybe once. Okay. <laughs> so she's way outside of her comfort zone. Babe, I'm so proud of you. I love you so much. And this is going to be great. And because this is a story that you know really well mm -hmm. and that you love a lot, is this your favorite story in the book of Genesis? 
It's probably one of them. Just, yeah, because he overcame so much. Okay. So I'm really happy that you're here for this story. <laughs> we're in chapter 20, Joseph in Egypt. And um, we're going to start with prayer. And I gave Violetta permission to just be as quiet as she wants. I said, if you just want to sit there and look pretty, you're really good at that. You can just sit there and look pretty. But if there's anything you want to say, or if, if there's a thought you have, or if I say something that you think is incorrect, then by all means, speak up. So babe, I'm so glad you're here. This is thrilling. And uh, I'm going to start with prayer, and then we're going to get right into Joseph in Egypt, day 21 of OT with DA, chapter 20. So let's pray together. Father in heaven, what a big day this has been for me, Lord. I've preached this morning and then did a seminar this afternoon and then the supplemental session. And then now is the highlight of my whole day to be doing OT with DA and VA. I just like the way that sounds. And so, Father, I pray that uh, Violetta's nervousness will be subdued and that she will just allow her enthusiasm for this um, incredible story and especially her enthusiasm for you to just shine out. And Lord, I pray that we would see you, that there would be great insights and understanding of how it is that you can move in such unexpected and difficult circumstances. Father, if you, if you could do it then, you can do it now. If you could do it for Joseph, you can do it for us. And so bless us now as we open this chapter is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so uh, chapter 20, Joseph in Egypt, and the chapter says that this is based on Genesis chapters 39, 40, and 41. Did you read the Bible chapters too? This morning or no? No. Because you're actually reading Patriarchs and Prophets, but you're way ahead. Yes. Where, where are you at? I'm at the, uh, just about to be after the plagues. Okay, so you're you're like uh, probably five or six chapters ahead, mm -hmm. something like that. Okay, so you went back and read this chapter again today? Correct, twice. Twice, oh, okay, so we're ready to go. <laughs> and do you have a word, and you've done all of that? You know how this works, right, Ned? Yes. Okay, good, yes. we're ready to go then. Yeah. So this is really, I guess the story of Joseph really began in earnest uh, yesterday, or at least it began... Because Joseph travels out at Jacob's advisement or encouragement or command, hey, go and find your brothers, go see how they're doing. I guess he was worried. Does it say exactly why he went out? I don't remember. He just followed his father's command. Right. His father was concerned. Yeah, okay. So. so the father's concerned. He sends Joseph out. You heard? Did you hear yesterday's session, babe? Yes. Yeah, okay. Do you agree with me when I was saying that it seems like, a pretty significant lack of parental awareness and discernment yes, that he would send. I mean, these are not just like ordinary brothers. These are in some cases murderous thugs. And I was really happy in the opening few paragraphs of this, Ellen White says exactly what I was already thinking. Like, yeah, that was a setup. It was a really bad, bad situation. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what I often like to do is just read that sort of first paragraph, maybe two, just to get us sort of going and one of the things I noticed, did you notice this, babe? My word yesterday was bitter. Mm -hmm. And two times, right at the outset mm -hmm. of this chapter, she uses the word bitter, including in the first paragraph. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm going to start reading, beginning in, uh, right at the very beginning, this is page 256 of the Types and Symbols and 213 of the original. Okay. It says, Meanwhile, Joseph, with his captors, was on the way to Egypt. As the caravan journeyed southward toward the borders of Canaan, the boy could discern in the distant in the distance, the hills among which lay his father's tents. And that's just so sad. Mm. 
Bitterly he wept, right? There's our word, and she uses it again a little bit later. He wept at the thought of that loving father in his loneliness and affliction. His thoughts go out to his dad. Again, the scene at Dothan came up before him. He saw angry brothers and felt their fierce glances bent upon him. The stinging, insulting words that had met his agonized entreaties were ringing in his ears. With a trembling heart, he looked forward to the future. What a change in situation from the tenderly cherished son to the despised and helpless slave. Alone and friendless, what would be his lot in the strange new land to which he was going? For a time, Joseph gave himself up to uncontrolled grief and terror. And when I was reading this, I first of all thought, again, that Ellen White's such a great writer. And I was trying to put myself into the mindset of Joseph, no idea what the future holds. You know, she uses the language here of uncontrolled grief and terror. I see him in my mind's eye, babe. I, he's like wailing. He's just crying. Nice. How do you how do you sort of see him? What's happening? Well, he's just he he just realizes that everything's just turned upside down, and he has no idea what's ahead of him. Yeah, no idea what the future holds. Nope. He's crying. He's wailing. I'm going to read the second paragraph as well. Yeah, I have something to say there in the second paragraph. Yes. Okay, um, but in the providence of God, even this experience was to be a blessing to him. He had learned in a few hours, this was incredible to me, that which years might not otherwise have taught him. Mm. His father, and this is the point where I talked a little bit about his lack of parental awareness and discernment, his father, strong and tender as his love had been, had done him wrong by his partiality and indulgence. Mm. This unwise preference had angered his brothers and provoked them to the cruel deed that had separated him from his home. Its effects were manifest also in his own character. Faults had been encouraged that were now to be corrected. He was becoming self-sufficient and exacting, accustomed to the tenderness of his father's care. He felt that he was unprepared to cope with the difficulties before him in the, what's bitter. the word? Bitter, uncared-for life of a stranger and a slave. Yeah. Okay, you said you had something there. I, yeah. I got a few things about that yeah, as, well, as well, so go ahead. So I thought it was fascinating that he had learned in those few hours as he's journeying into Egypt, just so much that right. years couldn't have taught him. And then the other thing I thought was fascinating is that hes it seemed like he would have been to what we say nowadays, like a spoiled brat. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, and it will come out later in the chapter, that he obviously had something in his past that he wasn't, even though he was favored and indulged, he was still a strong enough person yeah. to where he um, was able to do all the things that he did. Yeah, there was some raw material Absolutely. There. So, yeah, I, I think that the characterization, and I know you weren't saying it, but I think the characterization to think of him like a spoiled brat, that's probably how his brothers thought of him. Yes. But clearly, Jacob saw in him some raw material, some, some really um, wonderful qualities, some godly qualities, one of the qualities that we're going to see that comes up again and again in this chapter is the quality of faithfulness. Yes. I mean, clearly for, for him to have been sent out by his father, he thought, well, you know, Joseph will do a good job of this. Yes. Joseph is faithful. And so, right. yeah, I think, you know, we would maybe be tempted to think of him as a spoiled brat, but he obviously wasn't that. But she does say that there were um, Things, defects in his character. Correct, that he needed to unlearn. That's right. And part of the defects, this is a crucial sort of point in parenting, 
Part of the defects in Joseph's character were a direct result of his father's unwise favoritism and, she says, partiality and indulgence even. Yeah. And this is a really great lesson for those of us that are parents. Very often, and I know I've had this experience and I imagine you have too, babe, you see things in your children and you're like, well, I didn't teach them that. <laughs> well, I think to myself, I'm like, why are they acting like it? What, where could they possibly get this from? And then the Holy Spirit speaks to me and says, yeah, this is basically a mirror reflection of you. You never had that experience. Oh, yeah, I have. Okay, good. <laughs> because so. so often the, the, the sort of weaknesses and deficiencies that we see in our children are just really deficiencies in our raising of those children. Yes. And so the, the mature... The maturation process, the maturing that takes place just on this journey to Egypt, you know, she says he learned in a few hours what, what he couldn't have otherwise learned in years. years. And notice again, she uses that word bitter. And this is a very, you know, common characteristic of Ellen White's writing. She'll take a theme or an idea from a previous chapter and she'll pull that thread over into the beginning of the next chapter. Mm -hmm. She does it over and again. I don't always find them, but I think they're almost always there. Yeah. Okay, so then I really, really, really love the next two paragraphs, mm -hmm. and I'm sort of tempted to read them, but I'm just going to read parts of them. So you see him, he's in the journey, he's traveling. For a time, he gave himself over to uncontrolled grief and terror. He's thinking about his childhood. He sees the outline of the hills that are, you know, just on the other side of the hills are the path to his own home. And then he realizes, well, wait a minute, what am I going to do? Is crying going to get me out of this situation? Is feeling sorry for myself going to get me out of the situation. And he he really quickly seems to come to grips with the reality of his situation, Yeah. right? And he's like, well, what am I going to do? And he, he instinctively turns to the God of his father. And to the stories that he's heard his whole yes. life. Yes, 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 yes. Pass. Because the, the next paragraph, it says, then his thoughts turn to his father's God. Mm -hmm. And in the margin of this paragraph, in my translation, I just wrote Proverbs 22, 6, which says, train up a child in the way that he should go, she should go, and when they're old, they won't depart from it. Yeah. And I just want you to hear several of the phrases here. In his childhood, he had been taught mm -hmm. to love and fear him. Often in his father's tent, he listened to the, what were you saying, babe? Stories. The stories, right? Your dad, we, we love, I mean, your dad is an amazing human being. Your mom's an amazing human being. But what is one of your dad's favorite things to do when he gets all of the children and all of the grandchildren in a room? What does he want to do? Tell stories from his past. He wants to tell stories, and not just random stories. He wants to Our tell past. the stories of how God led and how God blessed him. And he he is a treasure trove of incredible stories. And I see yeah. uh, Jacob very much like your father, Zahariah who, when he has his children together, he says, let me tell you how God is blessed. Yeah. Let me tell you how God is led. And he's so accustomed to hearing those stories. He said, wait a minute, wait a minute. My dad went through difficult times. My dad had to flee his home. My, yes. my dad's life didn't go as planned. My life right now is not going as planned. Maybe my dad's God can do yes. for me what he did for my dad. Yes. You like that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, then it, the, another phrase, just a couple sentences later, he had been told, a few sentences later, he had learned of the love of God and providing for men a redeemer. Now, all these precious lessons, right, had been taught, had been told, he had learned, and I put a big circle around this, Joseph believed. Mm. And you should do the same. 
So, so just circle that, underline that. Joseph believed, and I put this is very much like Abraham, right? Genesis chapter 15, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Mm -hmm. And Joseph has this like literally like almost instantaneous transformation. And he just says, hey, wait a minute. If Yahweh looked out for my dad and Yahweh looked out for my granddad and Yahweh looked out for, then Yahweh can look out for me. Yeah. And then he says, he then and there gave himself fully to the Lord. I love that. Beautiful. So he believed it and then he acted. He did it. He did yeah, it. He I like the language, then and there. Then and right? there. No time wasted. Yep. Then and there, he said, hey, look, um, it says Joseph believed that the God of his fathers would be his God. And then I like the next paragraph. Yeah. And I promise we're not going to read every paragraph, <laughs> but it just gets off to such a great start. Yeah. I love this. His soul thrilled with the high resolve true. to prove himself true to his God. Mm. I love the word thrilled there. Yeah. You, you almost get the excited. sense. He's excited. That's exactly yeah. what I was going to say. You almost get the sense that he's like, wait a minute. Wait, a, God did amazing things for my dad and God did amazing things for his dad. Well, maybe God can do amazing things in my life. And all of a sudden, even in the midst of an impossibly difficult situation, you almost get the sense of a little excitement. Like, hey, what wow. does the future hold? Let's see what God's going to do in my life. And that sort of positivity propels him into what would otherwise have been a very dark situation. Yeah. You like that, Ben? I do. Very much. Um, when Jennifer was here, she talked about something called post-traumatic growth. Did you listen to that part? Where after trauma, after oh, difficulty, yeah. that there can be growth if you are able to look back learn with, that. learn, that's exactly right. And what I was thinking is, this isn't like just post-traumatic growth. Like he's literally growing in, in the, the trauma. In the moment. Yeah, in the moment, there and then, I mean, it was only a few hours or a few days before that his brothers threw him into a pit and were talking about, you know, killing him. And then all of a sudden, God comes down miraculously and he's like, wait a minute, why can't my dad's God be my God? Exactly. You like that? Yes. So then it says, he decided he would serve the Lord with an undivided heart. He would meet the trials of his lot with fortitude and perform every duty with fidelity. Mm-hmm. And the word fidelity is a very interesting word. It comes from the word fide, which is faith. Faith. And we'll come back to that a little bit later. Um, I do have to read that last little bit, though. One day's experience, one day, yeah. had been the turning point in Joseph's life. Its terrible calamity had transformed him from, and I thought this was quite yeah, cute. A petted child <laughs> to a man. A petted child to a man. That's quick maturation. Very. Thoughtful, courageous, and self-possessed. Mm-hmm. Then in the very next paragraph, you see the word um, fidelity again, kind of down toward the bottom of page 257, mm -hmm. 214 of the original. Yet Joseph preserved his simplicity and his fidelity, fidelity. to God. And then I thought this was great too. Mm. The sights and sounds of vice, oh, right now he's in yeah. Egypt, are all around him. But I loved this. I actually yeah, wrote, me too. I wrote cool in the margin. Oh, why don't you read it? Because I underlined it as well. But as he... But he was as one who saw and heard not. Isn't that great? He just, yeah. he was there, but it was just like, no way. Just, I'm totally focused on another thing yeah. here. And very beautiful. His thoughts were not permitted to linger upon forbidden subjects. Then she goes into this really great section in that paragraph. Which, just one thing. Go ahead, Ben, go. It's just that it, he didn't, it, like he obviously was seeing all the stuff around him, but it's his, it's his mind. 
his thoughts that he mm. didn't want to go past that point. Mm -hmm. And so he decided in his mind before the thing came to be that he wasn't going right. to transgress in that area. Those he didn't wait to say, oh, I'll see how I feel when the temptation comes. Exactly. He made up his mind today Beforehand. about how he would relate in the future. Correct. Yeah, no, that's really good. Um, that paragraph then says things like, he decided he would not conceal his principles mm -hmm. and he was not ashamed of the religion of his fathers and he made no effort to hide. So I don't know if you underlined all those three phrases, but I think you probably should. He said he would not conceal his principles, he would not be ashamed, and he made no effort to hide. And this really reminded me of Romans chapter 1, verse 16, where Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Yeah. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And I like this resolve here. She calls it what? His high resolve. He's like, look, if I'm going, if I'm going in with Yahweh into Egypt, into this you know, incredibly polytheistic context, I'm going all the way in. Yeah. And people are going to know that I serve Yahweh, the God of my father and my father's father. Yeah. You like that? Yeah, he wasn't going to hide it. He wasn't going to hide it. So then he gets um, purchased or however that works out by Potiphar. Mm -hmm. And this is providential. Yeah. One of the great things that emerges really powerfully in the story of Joseph is that God is always providentially preparing him for what's coming, mm, yes. preparing him for what's coming. And I actually wrote providential preparation numerous times in the margin. And the fact that he ends up in the house of Potiphar is great because now he's getting access to people that were in the upper echelons of mm -hmm. Egyptian society and Egyptian military. He's yeah. listening, he's learning, he's seeing how people in the sort of, you know, upper echelons of society interact. Yeah. And he's just like a sponge, right? He's yeah. soaking it all in. Yeah, I put that down too, is that he was just, God was using these uh, situations to teach him so that for the things that were going to Exactly, prepare him. preparing him. Mm -hmm. And and this is really great because Joseph doesn't know he's being prepared here. No. And how many things happen to us in our lives, good things and bad things, mm -hmm. that in the moment we just think, oh, this is the thing that's happening in this moment. But if we could see what God sees, we would see, well, God is actually, we can look back with retrospect, with hindsight and say, whoa, God prepared me for this by that. Mm -hmm. You like that? Yes. And he wasn't aware of it. So he becomes, you know, wildly successful in the house of Potiphar. He is wise. He's intelligent. He's industrious. Yeah. He can be trusted. Yeah. I also had over here that... Uh... It didn't, it wasn't just a miracle that he happened to yeah. know all this stuff, but he actually had to, you know, work. He still had to work. He had to, he, he had to do the day in and day out work. But right. Yet God blessed what he did. Correct. It's not like he was lounging in the corner, corner and God's like miraculously doing all Correct. these things that caused the house of Potiphar to prosper. Yeah. God was doing it, but he was doing it through mm -hmm. Joseph. But through the everyday Correct. things that he was doing. Day to day. And then as his sort of, reputation and his um, responsibilities are increasing in the house of Potiphar, it says here that Joseph attributed his success to the favor of his God. And I like that. Mm, yeah. Here again, he's not hiding his candle under a bushel. At every opportunity, you get the sense that he's saying, you know, praise the Lord, yeah. praise Yahweh, God is good. Yeah. And it says his idolatrous master accepted I know, I like this that. as the secret right. of his success. Yeah, because his house is prospering. And yeah. then when he would go to Joseph and say, man, Joseph, you're amazing. You know what I you know what I think Joseph actually said? The very thing that Joseph says when he stands before Pharaoh. Do you remember what it is that he said? Hey, it's I hear you. He it's said, God. It's not me. It's 
I literally think yes. that 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 occurs there because that was a thing that Joseph said. He said it in the house of Potiphar. He said it in the jailers, uh, in the jail to the jailers. Yep. And I think he said it to Pharaoh. I don't think he, he just did. invented that on the spot. No. I think that was his go-to response That's, when people praised him. Because he knows he of himself. You know, he was in a way, I guess you could say, a spoiled brat, and so he had to learn all this stuff. Right. And so he knows. Oh, He's that's seen. a good point. He knows that, hey, this isn't me. This has <laughs> got to be some other thing that's going on here. Yeah, God is obviously doing something here much bigger than me. Yes. Um, he doesn't know what it is yet, but he's trusting. He's him. trusting. Yes. So she says things like God was glorified by Joseph's faithfulness. Um, she says that there was a contrast between the worshipers of idols and Joseph's fidelity and faithfulness. The next paragraph actually uses that word fidelity again. Joseph's gentleness and fidelity. Fidelity here is just a synonym for faithfulness, which is another word she uses over and over and over again. Those words faith, faithfulness, fidelity come up over and again in this chapter. And the next paragraph sort of talks about what we were talking about, how he's listening in and getting knowledge of science, of languages, of you know the affairs of Egypt, was all an education that again was preparing him to be prime minister of Egypt, yes. something that was not even anywhere in his radar of possibility. It's just education in a different way. Yeah, very much so. So now we get to like the, the big hiccup here in Potiphar's house. And this is where, you know, the Bible actually says he was good looking dude. He was <laughs> handsome. And Potiphar's wife starts making advances. And Joseph had, and I like your point, babe, he had already decided in advance, how he would relate to, yes. you know, temptations and the vice that surrounded him. So she starts making these overtures to him, casting longing eyes at him. And he's just like, no, mm -hmm. no, avoiding being in circumstances, situations, the same room until, until eventually one day she just grabs him. Yeah. She just lays hold on him and says, sleep with me. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, nah. And he bolts out of there. He flees from the situation. And then, uh, what well, I guess she lays hold on part of his jacket or jacket or something, or whatever he did. And <laughs> um, she, of course, is you know she's chagrined, um, she's jilted, and she's so not happy. she's not happy. So what does she say? <laughs> like, oh, he tried to. He tried to take me, this Hebrew slave. Yeah. Ellen White makes a really cool point. She says that when Potiphar gets word of this, she says, "There's no way." He knew. Yeah, that's right. He Jesus, totally knew. He must have known because if he really believed that a Hebrew slave, a slave, a slave. was not even a person in the ancient no. world. I mean, not only was he not a person, he's not an Egyptian, he's nothing. He's a, yeah. And if he really believed that this slave had tried to take advantage of his wife, he would have killed him. Instantly. Instantly. Yes. So the fact that he puts him into not just any ordinary prison, but into the king's prison, prison. suggests that, and Ellen White says as much, that he knew this was fishy. Because he knew the character of Joseph. Yes. And it was... He treated it didn't add as, up. No, and he treated him as his son because he was so... He just saw that God was blessing him. Correct. And, um, he was just so um, appreciated. Yeah, some, somebody just said there a moment ago, he knew his wife exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah Potiphar knows two things. He knows Joseph's character because he's been in his home <laughs> for a number of years, and he knows his wife, and it doesn't add up, but he can't doubt his wife and believe of... Hebrew slave. So I almost see, in my mind's eye, there's a reluctance here to get rid of Joseph because Joseph is the means by which his house has been prospered. Yeah, blessed. 
Big time. But it would have been shameful to have done anything other than believe his wife. Yeah. And I do want to just say a word about this. We live in a time right now where, where people will sometimes say things like, believe all women. And I want to speak into this because there is no doubt that there are a significant number, the vast majority of rapes go um, unreported and certainly unprosecuted. And so rape statistics and sexual assault statistics are certainly going to be skewed. And there's not a doubt at all in my mind that a high percentage, a significant amount of rapes that take place are either not reported or if they are reported, they're not prosecuted and believed because there's only two people there for it. And that's kind of what happens in this situation. Mm -hmm. However, having said that, there's a real danger in just saying, you know, indiscriminately believe all women because we have a, a biblical account here of a false accusation. And I myself, and I write about this in my book, was falsely accused of uh, a sexual assault. And uh, it was actually, it was a story just exactly like this in the sense that there was a girl uh, when I was younger, I was uh, 21 and she invited me over to her house and she really wanted me to get with her. She was actually the girlfriend of my drummer in my band. And I was like, whoa, and it was all happening very quickly. And she, her parents weren't home. I didn't know that she said she was having a party. Long story short, she like fully comes on to me in a really aggressive way. But I was like, ah, uh, uh, I actually kind of had a girlfriend that we were talking, and this was the girlfriend of my drummer. She comes on to me hard and fast and strong, and I was like, no, 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 no. You know, got myself out of that situation. You've bolted. heard this story before. I bolted. <laughs> but then what happened was the next day I saw a good friend of ours, a good friend of hers and a good friend of mine. His name was Brian. And Brian came up to me, and he was mad as a hornet. And he said, hey, bro, what, what did you do to Carrie? I'm like, what? Because I didn't want to tell anybody. I was embarrassed about the whole situation. He said, hey, what, what did you do to Carrie? I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. He said, hey, you, you laid hands on Carrie, and, and she says you raped her. And I tell you, the moment those words came out of his mouth, my whole life flashed in front of me because I was literally the only person in that house. It was just her and me. Mm. And I was like, Brian, bro, not only did that not happen, let me tell you what happened. And so I told him the whole story, and then I won't tell you what he said, but he got this idea. Or I think maybe it was my idea or his idea, I don't remember. But basically, this is back in the day when he had house phones. So he got on a phone and he covered the mouthpiece. And then I got on a phone and I called Carrie. And Carrie answered and I said, hey, Carrie, this is David. And she, I don't want to talk to you. I said, Carrie, I understand that you're upset with me. I'm really upset with you about what happened last night. That was super mean. And, and uh, you know, she was mad she got rejected. And I said, Carrie, okay, fair enough. But you can't tell people that I raped you. I just talked to Brian and Brian told me that you, she said, I know, but I told him that because I was so angry and, and I'm going to tell other people that. And then fortunately, Brian was listening into this and then Brian lets off the mouthpiece and goes, well, I won't tell you what he said, actually. <laughs> he said, you beep. And then he said, how could you? And, da, da, da. and then she hung up the phone and all of a sudden I felt like I got my life back. Yeah. But in that like several hour period there where I was explaining to Brian and then we did the phone call, I was freaking and so as somebody who has been uh, falsely accused in that situation, and I know of others that have been falsely accused, what we need to do in situations like this is not just say uniformly, I believe all men. Well, that would be ridiculous. I believe all women. That would be similarly ridiculous. No, every circumstance and situation like this needs to be evaluated on its own merits. 
And unfortunately, tragically, again, there are going to be sexual assaults and rapes that will not be reported and not be prosecuted because there were only two people there. But what we can't do is let the pendulum swing all the way over to the other side and say that all women are always telling the truth about, about all encounters with men. No, no, no. Women's hearts are fallen just like men's hearts are fallen. And we live in a broken world, but we would open up a whole other new kind of evil if we just decided, oh yeah, we'll believe anything that a woman says if it has to do with a, an allegation of a sexual nature against a man. And so this idea is actually contained in Scripture. You know, Scripture recorded this event. It didn't have to, but we have an inspired account of somebody falsely accusing a man and then that man being put into prison. Yeah, I like how it says that all of heaven was looking upon that scene to see what he would do in that very moment. Right, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? Yeah, and I, I went a little long there to tell that story, but I just think it's important, especially in this climate of, of the Me Too movement and the Believe All Women movement, which again, there are values here. There's, there's good to come out of some of this, but if we overshoot the mark and the pendulum swings all the way to the other side, then we'll have another kind of evil. And so I think it was just really important to point that out. Yep. Now, the next couple paragraphs, she basically talks about how the things that we do in secret might not be seen by other people, but they're all seen by God. They're all seen by God. That's why he chose to say, how can I sin against my God? Exactly. Because yeah. Yeah. He didn't just say, how can I commit this great sin? How can I commit this great sin against my God? God. This is the same thing that the psalmist says in Psalm 51. He says, against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Yeah. So anytime we sin, and think about the sin of adultery, for example. The sin of adultery is, is a multi-layered sin. First of all, it is primarily a sin against God, right? Mm -hmm. Because adultery is a sin, right? It's the, a violation of the seventh commandment. But adultery would also be a sin against your spouse, but then Paul says in the New Testament that adultery and, and sexual uh, uh, perversity is actually a sin against your own body. Yes. Because your body is a gift from God. And I know we often use the temple, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit to talk about diet and things like that. But the way that Paul uses it is to say, don't participate in sexual immorality. And so that kind of a sin is a sin against God. It's a sin against your partner. And it's a sin against your own body. And so I love the fact that you point out here, babe, he says, how can I commit this great sin against my God, Yahweh, yeah. who was the one that had been responsible for all of his success? Yeah, up to that point. Up to that point. And, and I wrote in the margin here, and you might want to write down the same, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. These are some of the better known verses in the book of Hebrews, um, where it says that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Heart. Mm -hmm. Then verse 13 says, all things are open before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And it says we are naked before him. Yeah. In other words, God sees all. God sees the things that we do in private. You can delete, you know, the history on your web browser, or you can keep, you know, certain sins from other people, but God sees yeah. all of it. Yeah. And Joseph knew that, and he lived his life as if, not as if, because he knew that he was under the eye of God. God. And not just the eye of God, but the care of God. Yeah. 
Okay, so then he finds himself in prison. Am I going too fast, babe? You're good? No, I'm good. Okay, so he finds himself in prison. She then quotes Psalm 105, verses 18 and 19. Do you want to read that for us, babe? They hurt his feet. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. Gotcha. So then he's now in the prison. And once again, look at what it says. But Joseph's real, real character, character shines out. Woo, come on. Even in the darkness of the dungeon, he held fast to his what? Faith, Faith and, patience. and patience. His years of what? Faithful, Faithful service. service had been most cruelly repaid, yet he did not render, this did not render him morose or distrustful. And what she says next is incredible. He had this peace that comes only from the internal knowledge that you're innocent of the crime of which you've been accused. Mm -hmm. uh, that's just amazing. He had a peace that, that could only have been his if he was innocent of the crime. And then I love this. He did not brood upon his own wrongs, but forgot his own sorrow in trying to lighten the sorrow of others. And I tell you, that's a recipe for all of us right there. Mm. You like that? Yes. Right? So when you're down, when things aren't going your way, when you're tempted to feel depressed, and she uses the word morose, one of the best ways to, to get out of that, to pop out of that attitude of depression and, and sort of self um, self-indulgent sorrow is to say, well, wait a minute, there's probably people that are worse off than me. There's probably people I could help. And before you know it, your problems have almost disappeared. Yeah. And or at the, least your co consciousness of them. Well, and the part, uh, just the sentence before us is he trusted his case with God. Yeah. And I think that's why he was able to then go to others. Right. Because he just said, okay, here, God, here's my situation. Right. I give it to you. Let me see if I can help those around me. That's, that's beautiful. So she says, I thought this was quite ironic. She says, in the prison, he learned lessons of justice, sympathy, and oh, mercy. I, I underlined those too. You did too? I did. You wouldn't think, you know what? I got a great idea. I want to learn the lessons of justice and sympathy and mercy. Where can I go? Where can I go? I got a great idea. I want to go to prison. <laughs> but she, she says he goes to prison and here in the same way that when he was in Potiphar's house, you know, rubbing shoulders with all, because you know Potiphar would have been bragging about Joseph. Hey, 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 come over here, Joseph. I want you to meet some of the, you know, the people in the upper echelons of Egyptian society. He learned what he could learn there, and then now he's learning what he can learn in prison. And the lessons he learns are remarkable. Yeah. I mean, justice, sympathy, and mercy. Yeah, I know. Look like you were going to say something there. Yeah, it's just those lessons. He obviously had another part of his education that he needed to learn. Correct. To prepare him, because obviously he's going to be so high ranked. He's going to be. Dealing right. with all kinds of people. And he doesn't, the great thing about this is, Joseph doesn't know what we now know. We're reading the story. We know how it ends. He was living. Joseph is just making the best of every situation and circumstance. How can I bless? How can I serve? Now, do I think that Joseph believes that this is all going to somehow work out? I do think he believes that because yeah. he's heard the stories of how his own dad had you know, the flight away from his family and then the flight back to his family, he yeah. knows that God can come through in really miraculous ways. I mean, his dad would have told him the story of wrestling with the God. angel of the covenant. I mean, <laughs> wrestling with God. So I do believe that Joseph thinks God's going to do something big here and I'm just going to learn whatever I can learn in every situation and circumstance in which I find myself and I'm going to glorify God. Yeah, he trusted his case with God. He trusted his case with God. Um, okay, then we get into the, the dream of the butler and the baker. Mm -hmm. And uh, she makes the point that, you know, it wasn't just the dream that he interpreted. She says that there were many acts 
of kind attention to the cupbearer, and he kind of forgot. You know, he does this, he interprets the dream, mm -hmm. and he says his little line there about, hey, don't interpretations belong to God, and the thing that he interpreted came to pass exactly right. Exactly right. Okay, now we're already beginning to rem rem remind ourselves and remember the dream that he had that he explained to his brothers and his dad. <laughs> <laughs> I had this dream, and all of you were bowing down to me. I wonder if that came to mind. I'm sure it would have here and there. He didn't have his own interpretation. He, I don't think, I don't know if he knew what that meant. I think it's I highly know. unlikely. Well, it says, it, well, later on. It says later on. <laughs> now, when the cupbearer gets out of prison, you can almost feel the sense of optimism and expectancy that Joseph has. Like, hey, he's going to tell my case and I'm going to get out of here and it's all going to be good. And I, I imagine that he started to think, wow, this is providential. This is going to be great. And then two years goes by, yes. nothing. That's and right. I just wrote in the margin, crushing. Yes. I mean, that would have been devastating. Well, what do you got? And he said that the he not only did they have the other trials, but the bitter sting of ingratitude. Bitter. Yes. Yeah, the bitter sting of ingratitude. So it was added to his other trials of, you know, obviously his past. But look at that next line there, page 261, uh, sort of the middle of page 219. But a divine hand mm. was about to open the prison gates. Mm, that's you. Come on now. This is exciting. Yes. So this is one of my my favorite parts in the book God Sent a Man. I mentioned that book the other day. It's my favorite book on the life of Joseph by Carlisle B. Haynes. You should get it. Oh, God amazing. sent a man. Well, we've read it as a family several times. And one of my favorite scenes in that is is when Carlisle B. Haynes tells this part. He 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 kind of goes into detail about how he took the time to shave himself. Yes. I think that's funny. Well, even here the Bible says, says it and Ellen White says it. It's funny. Well, well, I think part of it was also the culture is that yeah, that's true. you had to be presentable and he was going to see, you know, the highest He's gonna person go see the pharaoh. in all of the land. Yeah. And so he didn't want to look like a person from a cave. <laughs> <laughs> Babe, I'm going to say that that Joseph was your kind of guy. He he shaved. <laughs> Yes, he did. One of the one of the great <laughs> sources of um, conflict in our home is my facial hair. Violetta <laughs> much prefers it when there's no mustache, no beard, no stubble. You like me just like this, huh, babe? Yes. Looking like yeah. a woman. No. Is that not, how you like it? Like just looking like a, a baby-faced little girl. Is that how you like <laughs> So Joseph goes in, and I just think that's so cool. He goes in. He puts off his prison attire, he shaves, and, and the scene that I get in my mind here... And his hair had grown long. His hair had grown long. The scene I get in my mind here is The Count of Monte Cristo. Oh, yes. <laughs> One of our favorite movies is The Count of Monte Cristo. If you haven't seen it, you should see it. It's incredible. And we've seen the movie half a dozen times. And then when we were on our big trip around Australia, we actually listened to the audiobook, which is like 80 hours long. And every time I think of him with his long hair and his raveled beard and he's shaving up, I, I get that picture in my mind of the mm -hmm. Count of Monte Cristo. And so he's brought him before the Pharaoh and the Pharaoh says, look, I've had a dream. No one can interpret it. I've heard it said of you. And I can just imagine the Pharaoh here. There's a high degree of skepticism. Oh, of course. You know, he's just like... He said it was I mean, humiliating exactly. to, he's to like, turn you away from the magicians. And but at this point, he's so desperate. He's a little he, bit he like... He didn't care. He's like, whatever. Anybody. You know, they say a, a drowning man will grasp at anything you throw him. Yeah. You can throw him a dead fish and he'll try to grab that. But but what's happening here is that Pharaoh 
is looking for answers. Mm -hmm. And so in his embarrassed reluctance, you can almost feel his apathy okay. here. Like, hey, I've heard it said. And I'm sure what, he's, what Joseph says must have sounded surprising to him. Yes. It is not in me, but God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. What do you think Pharaoh thought when he heard that? It is not in me. Do you, do you think he thought, well, okay, you're the wrong guy? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, he's just like, okay, well, then who? If, not, if it's not in you, yeah, then who? What? The God? And, you know, of course, God's. But he yeah. says, God. God. God in the singular. singular. God will give the answer, but it is not in me. God alone can explain these mysteries. And this has all kinds of sort of foreshadowing and anticipation of Daniel when he stands in Daniel chapter 2 before mm -hmm. Nebuchadnezzar, yep. right? It's not, it's not from any wisdom that I have. And almost certainly, Daniel would have been thinking about Joseph before Pharaoh when he was brought before Nebuchadnezzar. Mm. Isn't that cool? He mm -hmm. would have known what to say. Hey, it's not me. It's my God. Yes. So then he tells him the dream. And I think my favorite part about the dream, or at the end of the dream, he goes to the interpretation and he basically says, here's what you should do. And he lays out this kind of like strategic, plan. yeah, this like management plan. He's like, this is what you should do. And then Pharaoh's like, man, this kid's smart. Well, it's all from being in prison and from all the exactly. practice that he's had. He's like, okay, because of this, you need to do this and this and this and this. And, this. and the, the thing that he says in terms of the management was not a part of the dream. This is, this is Joseph. This is part of it. Right. Th this is what Joseph is bringing to the table because Joseph has spent it, well, several years in the prison and then several years in Potiphar's house. Yeah. I mean, it says that when he stands before Pharaoh, he's 30 years old. Yeah, he was 10 years with Potiphar. 10 years with Potiphar, mm -hmm. at least two plus years in the prison. Yeah. So he has, you know, significant managerial experience. Yes. So all he's doing here is giving his opinion. Yes. He's like, look, this is what I think you should do. And then Pharaoh's like, hmm, man, this is actually really sounds like a good plan. We need to find a person who's wise and discerning and Pharaoh's like, but who? Who could do this for us? Yeah, but also remember, so now the chief butler, the guy who he was right? supposed to remember. He remembered that he, he was really good in prison. Is in prison. And he's the one that basically told. Kind of recommends yeah, him. Yeah. And he's like, oh, he was like this and like this and like this. And he was able to, you know. Fair point. Had all these qualities. That do you know what I've thought about, babe? Mm. <laughs> what do you think of this? Once Joseph gets promoted, okay, so the dream, and then they decide on Joseph, and Joseph gets promoted, and he rides in the second chariot, and he gets the signet ring. What do you think Potiphar's thinking? Have you ever thought about that? It's like, man, I lost so much. Well, not just that, but I mean, if he's second only to Pharaoh. Potiphar's under him. Exactly. Yeah. I've always, that's one of the stories that I've always wished the Bible said something about it, hmm. was did, did Joseph go back to Potiphar and say, hey, bro, just so you know, I didn't touch your wife. I have no interest in touching your wife. And then did Potiphar say to him, hey, bro, I never believed it, but there's nothing I could do. The, the sort of, uh, you know, honor of my family was on trial. And I wonder, if, did they become friends? You know, I, I wonder, I'm fascinated by that. I wonder, because obviously Pharaoh brought in people to ask about Joseph. Yeah, was Potiphar one of them? I, would, I believe Potiphar was one of them. And I don't know. Yeah, that's a I good think point. it was in God's, God Sent a Man, the book, where he says that Potiphar recommended him as well as the chief butler. Well, it kind of makes him. sense because it says that they inquired, inquired to see if the reports like that the cupbearer has brought are, are these legitimate. So that's yes. a great point, babe. Yeah. He would have had to go to Potiphar and, say, hey. and said, hey, what do you think of this guy? Yeah. 
And Potiphar must have, at some level, given him a favorable review. Absolutely. I haven't thought of that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I'm on, I'm turning the page. I'm on the last two pages here. Okay. So why don't you read the Psalm 105, uh, 21 and 22 for us, if you would? Yep. He made him Lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions to bind his princes at his pleasure and teach his elders wisdom. Incredible. So, I mean, talk about going from the lowest to the highest. This is one of the great stories of, mm. this is one of the great redemption arcs, and we're only getting start, started with oh, the story absolutely. of Joseph. Um, now, one thing that I wrote here in, in my uh, margin is that Joseph had survived adversity, but could he survive prosperity? Prosperity. I wrote that down, too. You did. Because she says... He bore the test of, and I put, can you... High and high low. High and low, adversity and prosperity. Yeah, she says, but Joseph's character bore the test alike of adversity and prosperity, and then look at what word shows up here again. The same fidelity to God was manifest when he stood. Now watch this. In the palace of the pharaohs, as when in a prisoner's cell, he was still a stranger in a heathen land, separated from his kindred, the worshipers of God, but he fully believed. And I circle that again. This is this has these Abrahamic overtones, right? He believed, he believed. Two times she makes this point to say, he fully believed in God. Mm-hmm. Well, this is the, the thing that Abraham did, and it was yeah. accounted to him as covenantal righteousness, yes. covenantal faithfulness. Yep. So I really like that. Um, so he's elevated to the pinnacle of success. I remember years ago, I read a biography of George Whitfield, and George Whitfield said basically the same thing. When people hated him, he found it really easy to stay connected and attached to God, but when he became suddenly very popular and very famous, he was worried about whether or not he'd be able to keep his stronghold mm. on God. It's one thing to be faithful in adversity, quite another to be faithful when everything's going great. Yes, it's true. And uh, then on that that last page, she uses the word faith, faithful, faithfulness, fidelity, faithfulness, faithful, again and again and again. And she makes a lot of really great points about how the things that might seem like they're small to us mm. are actually, here we go, educating us for the future. Yeah, preparing us for the future. Yeah. And she says, there is nothing with which we have to do that is really small. The varied circumstances that we meet day to day are designed to test our faithfulness and to qualify us for greater trust. And this sounds very much like Jesus, right? Mm. That that he that is faithful in that which is least will be faithful also in that which is much. I have something to say over here. Okay, go. And, which is, I, because I am ahead, I'm putting a few pieces Yeah, that's together. fine. But over here it says, through Joseph, the attention of the king and great men of Egypt was directed to the true God. Yeah, hallelujah. They learned to respect the principles revealed in the life and character of the worshiper of Jehovah. Now, I'm, like I said, I'm reading ahead. So I'm at the part of Moses and the plagues. And this Pharaoh chose to um, see that God was with Joseph, Mm. whereas... In Moses, the Pharaoh in Moses' day says, who is this God? He right, over and over and over That's again. And he point. had many signs, whereas here, this Pharaoh was willing to listen. Beautiful. Right in the middle of the last page there, page 265, 223 of the original, she says, by adherence to principle in the transactions of just ordinary life, I thought this was great, the mind becomes accustomed to hold the claims of duty above those of pleasure and inclination. And this is a really neurologically and psychologically sound statement here that basically just says that when you do something habitually, when you do it consistently, you train your brain. Yeah. 
And Joseph trained his brain, trained his mind to run in certain channels. And remember back here, to not let his mind run in other channels. Let me just remind mm -hmm. you of that one. Yep. It says, his thoughts were not permitted to linger upon forbidden subjects. So you get the sense that Joseph is a very strong-minded person. Remember, he yeah. had a conversion experience, a transformation experience that happened, like, sounds like in a matter of hours. Yeah. He just decided that he was going to put his trust in his father's God. And we get the sense here that he was a very strong-minded person. He was somebody that when he said yes, it was yes. When he said no, it was no. He was always learning, picking up, you know. And this is a great lesson for us that whatever our specific intellectual faculties may be or our capacities might be or our giftedness might be, God can take our minds and he can train them in ways that it can become almost easy, yeah. habitual for us to honor God and to live to glorify him. Yeah, I put early training and that's when, you know, as our kids were younger, you know, you want to train them to do the right Correct. things. Yeah, the, the mind is not a muscle exactly, but it's like a muscle yeah. in that, like Violet and I, we do rock climbing together. Violet is a very good rock climber. I love rock climbing. And one thing about rock climbing is it's a very specific set of movements and skills and strengths. So if you take a non-rock climber climbing, very often, usually, they find it difficult. Well, the reason they find it difficult is that they've not accustomed their arms and their body and their hips to move in the ways that rock climbers do. But if you train yourself that way, what used to be difficult and seem impossible or unnatural, now it just becomes like second nature. Second nature yeah. And we can do the same with our mind. We can do the very same thing with our mind. We can train our mind to be continually aware, like Joseph was. Hey, mm -hmm. God sees. Other people might not see. My neighbors might not see. My, my children might not see. My church members might not see. My friends might not see. But God sees. God sees. And you literally train the mind. Mm -hmm. Okay, babe, are you ready for the rubric? Yes. Okay, that was a great chapter. I loved your contributions, babe. You had a lot of great stuff to say. There's no need to be nervous. You've done good. Now, are you ready for the rubric? You want to go first or you want me to go first? Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I'll go first. <laughs> okay, so this is where we go through the point, the person, the prayer, the practice, and the promise. And what was the point of this chapter? Here's what I wrote. To tell the inspiring story of Joseph's trials, trust, and transformation. Joseph believed that God would come through, mm. right? And the word I'm using trust here as a synonym for faith, faithfulness, faithful, and fidelity. And so I saw it sort of summarized in trials, trust, transformation. How about you? I just said life isn't always easy, but if we rely on God, he will give us the strength to do what's right. Yeah, very good. Very good. Yeah, we need to have those moments where we just decide in our mind, wait a minute, my father's God is going to be my God. I'm going to yeah. trust him, and I'm going to have this, what did she say, the language she said that he was, uh, oh, I really liked that language. Let me just go find that. She said that he had a high resolve, high resolve. and she said he was almost excited. Remember that part? His soul thrilled, thrilled. with the high resolve. <laughs> I feel that way. I feel like, you know, let's go out there. We've told our boys this over and over again. Go out there, live for Jesus, live for God, be bold, mm -hmm. and it's going to be so fun to see the story that God mm -hmm. writes for you and for your future family. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. thrilling. It's absolutely thrilling. Okay, the person. What do we learn about God as a person? And here's what I wrote. God can bring good out of evil, but this does not mean that he is the cause or the designer of that evil. 
And God can prosper us even in the darkest situations. Mm, in fact, that's actually what Jace, uh, Joseph is going to say to his brothers. What you intended for evil, mm. God meant for good. Mm -hmm. And so that's a reminder for us, even in the darkest moments of our life, maybe this is a training ground, not that God caused it or that he designed it, but maybe there are lessons that we can learn here that we might not learn otherwise. Yeah. Remember, he learned in a few hours what she says he would not have otherwise learned in years. Okay, babe, what do you got for the person? Uh, that he's faithful even when it doesn't seem like it at the moment. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. The Bible says in, in Romans chapter 8 that faith that is seen or hope that is seen is not hope, mm -hmm. right? So so when is, it, when is it harder to trust God? When everything's going swimmingly well or when things are not going well? Well, when things are not going well. Yeah. And so it's one thing to have faith when you're on the mountaintop. It's quite another to have faith when you're in the valley. Mm -hmm. And this is the great thing about Joseph. I, I mentioned yesterday, I think, that there's not a lot of heroes in the Bible, and I, I stand by that. But there are some people who behaved heroically when they reflected mm -hmm. the uh, faithfulness of God. Yeah. And Joseph is clearly one of those. Yeah, he started in a good, somewhat good family. Yeah. And he went down, then he went up, then he went down, then he went up. And just, yeah. he, he was faithful. He learned those lessons. Mm -hmm. We should not be slaves to the circumstances in which we find ourselves, mm -hmm. whether those are really prosperous circumstances or really difficult circumstances. Yeah. God is bigger. Like she says, you know, what was that language that she used there? A but a divine hand was about to open the prison gates. We mm -hmm. never know when a divine hand is about to create a breakthrough. Mm -hmm. And we're like, whoa, this has been an education for this moment. Yes. Okay, babe, um, prayer. How do we pray this chapter? Here's what I wrote. Why don't you go first on the prayer? Oh, yours is short. Yeah, well, you can say a lot more, but I'm very... No, go ahead. What's your prayer? Um, just help me to turn to you first before I come to conclusions. Okay, that's good. So sort of a seek ye first, the kingdom of God. Yeah. Not to turn to God second or third or right. fourth, yep. um, but to turn to God first. And that's a great point because that's exactly the thing that... Joseph did there right after he'd been sold. Mm -hmm. he said, his mind turned to his father's God, and that literally changed everything. Yes. Imagine what would have happened to Joseph if he would have stayed stuck in that morose disposition, mm -hmm. that depression, and he would have never turned to his father's God. I'll tell you one thing. We would have no, no knowledge story. of Joseph. There'd be no story. <laughs> so that story really starts with a decision. Mm -hmm. um, here's what I wrote. Father, make me faithful like Joseph was faithful. Um, may I come to reflect your faithfulness and your goodness to the world around me mm. like Joseph did. Yes. Right? He reflected it to Potiphar, and he reflected it to the other servants in Potiphar's house, and he reflected it to the jail keepers, and he reflected it to those that were in mm. the jail, and then he later reflected it to Pharaoh. And then all of those under his influence, people are like, I mean, here's what I want people to say about us, babe. I want them to say, look, I think they're kind of weird. They're maybe super religious, but you can't deny that they're good people, mm -hmm. right? That something about them is different. And if anybody ever accuses us of being good, we'll just say, it is not me. It's not me, God. It's not in me. God is shining through. Okay, uh, the practice. You want to go first or second? Doesn't matter. You go first. Okay. Um, the practice is to do the right thing, even though we may not know what is ahead. And sometimes it's hard to do that. Yeah, that's right. Do the right thing. Yep. Right? Do the right thing. I put, um, for me, there was a real point of that just, I was like, yeah, that's my, that's my practical lesson. And that's where she says that he was not ashamed, mm -hmm. where she makes the point. Um, 
you know, he just resolved in his mind, hey, I'm going to go in there. I'm not going to conceal my principles. I'm not going to be ashamed. And I'm going to make no effort to hide who I am. Yeah. And so here's what I wrote. Do not be ashamed of my faith in the God of Scripture, mm. the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, to be bold in my enthusiasm and love for him. Mm. And not just when I'm surrounded by the saints in a churchy context or a religious context, but in every this is who I am, yeah. right? Wherever I am, I'm giving glory to God and I'm praising God and I don't want to put my candle under a bushel. Amen. You feel me? Yes. Oh, did I get an amen out of you there? You did, Bill. Yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> okay, um, I'll do the promise and so you can have the last word here. For me, the promise was God can open the doors of providence, protection, and preparation that I cannot see. Let me go down each of them. Providence, there were providences happening that Joseph didn't know. Yeah. There was protection happening that Joseph didn't know. For example, they were going to kill him, and then they got the idea to sell him. Well, that looked terrible, but it was actually protection. Yeah. And then finally, preparation. God is preparing us for what's coming. And so it's a really great way to think about your life. Like, what lesson can I learn here? Mm. Whether it's in adversity or difficulty, what lesson can I learn here that I might be able to use? And if you find yourself in a really dark place, a really difficult place where you're tempted to be self-indulgent in your own sort of head, just say, well, wait a minute, there's probably people around me that need help. Mm. Maybe I can lose my sorrows mm -hmm. in helping them. Yeah. And then I wrote, God has a bright future for me and my family. Yeah. And I wrote that before I knew that you were going to be with me, babe. <laughs> I did not know that a part of my bright future was having you on OT with DA. Yeah. What's your promise? Uh, just that he will make things right, even maybe not always right away. but that. Oh, I like that. That's a good preaching point. God will make things right, but not always right away. Yes. <laughs> That's good. God will make things right, not always right yeah. away. Woo. Okay, now is where we try to see, oh, somebody said Violetta is cute. I completely <laughs> agree. I totally agree. So glad you joined us, Violetta. Um, oh, that's good, Victor. That's good. Let's not try to be famous. Let's be faithful. Hallelujah, brother. Okay, so um, what was your word? Babe, don't, don't give your word yet. Um, let's see what other people's words were. I'm going to be interested. I've given a lot of hints about my word in this one, so people yeah. might... Uh, People might, okay, hey, Jim, same word, same state, same high school, same savior, same word. My word was fidelity. Very good. She uses it five times. Let's see, faithfulness, long-suffering, um, faithful, character. character. That's Cassandra. Yeah, no. Um, lessons, humility. humility. Oh, palace. Oh, that's good, Hannah. True. Let my character be like Joseph and reflect God's love. Amen. Trust, faithful, fidelity. She has mine. What's your word? Trust. Trust. Okay, good. That's a great word. Um, I talked about, you know, the, the, the trust and the trials and the transformation. Very mm -hmm. good, babe. Um, contrast, says Michelle. Integrity. Oh, the word integrity is used several times. Unique. Another integrity. Favor. Favor. I'd have Resolve. to think about that one. Resolve. Providence. Principle. Yeah, Providence Ooh, is great. Felicia. Principle. Oh, Felicia. Hey, that's my little sister. Um, humility, trust, faithful, consistent. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a really good one, Victor, because he was he behaved the same way. The scenery changed, but Joseph's character and behavior didn't change. He just, same, same. He changed the backdrop, whether he's in a prison or he's in the house of Potiphar, or he's in the 
You know, the yeah. palace of Pharaoh, he's the same. Character, resilience. resilience, affliction, servant, influence, witness. Yeah, oh, five, five Carson. So five says, I love the word trust, but I already used it. Because, yeah, that's that's a great point. So um, walking with Jesus, PNW says, come back, Violetta. And maybe, Violetta, mm. you'll join us again at some point. No. <laughs> <laughs> has, not has not this, likely. Has this been hard for you or was it not too bad? It was okay. <laughs> what's your what's your nervous what was been your nervous uh gauge? Very, not very, extremely? <laughs> very. Oh, very. Okay. Well, you seem very relaxed and not at all nervous. And you did an outstanding job, babe. I love you so much. You're amazing. Um, they say behind every good man is a surprised woman. And the surprised woman behind this man, not good man, man is this woman right here. Violetta, thank you for joining us. Uh, my word was fidelity. The root word there is faith, fide. And uh, I want to live with faithfulness, with fidelity. Violetta, you want to live with trust. I love your point mm -hmm. about how um, God will make things right. Maybe not right away, but he will make things right. Okay, we'll be back tomorrow, chapter 21. Um, Johnny Suarez will be with us tomorrow night, as long as his plane goes well and he lands. So we'll have another guest tomorrow night. Not nearly as pretty as this guest, I have to say, <laughs> um, but handsome in his own way. And then the next night, our own Hannah, who was just on here a moment ago, will be with us. So, and then I got a special, another special guest for you, not Violetta. Do you know who my other special guest is? Don't I say do. it. Okay. I have another special guest and an unannounced, um, unplanned special guest. Well, he's planned, but you don't know about it. Um, next week for the chapter on Passover. And uh, they specifically requested this chapter. So I'm very much looking forward to it. Um, thank you for joining us. I'm going to close with prayer. And uh, we'll see you tomorrow at the same time, same place. Oh, and by the way, again, it's going to take me at least 24 hours to get the supplemental video uploaded for Sean Pittman, but this video will be uploaded in the next few hours. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we love you so much. We thank you for the story of Joseph. What an inspiring story. Father, to go from trial to trust and finally to transformation. Father, the prayer of my heart is that we would learn how to trust you, to know that you will make things right. Maybe not right away, but you will make things right. And Father, help us to see all of life, that there is nothing really small. All of life is preparation. All of life is a part of your providential leading. And Father, there are going to be bad things that happen to us. That's what happens in a broken world, in a fallen planet. Father, help us not to think that you cause the brokenness, that you cause the evil, that you cause the trial, but certainly, Father, you will use it. And so we ask that this story of Joseph, we're just in the first part of it here, would be a source of inspiration to us. And that we would say, you know what? You can change the scenery. You can change the backdrop. There can be the backdrop of adversity. I'm going to be who I am. I'm going to trust the living God. There can be the backdrop of prosperity. I'm going to be who I am. Father, help us to be those kinds of people, to be unashamed and to not hide who we are and to not put our, our lamp under a bushel, but to be enthusiastic in our uh, worship of and our service to um, you, the one true God. We love you and thank you. We praise you uh, for a high Sabbath. It's been a high Sabbath for us, Father. It's been a busy, busy day for us. And so give us a, a great night's rest. Bring us back tomorrow is my prayer in Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen.